Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We are uh, continuing our crisis management series, talking about a a, bu- a book that is certainly not a crisis, but is is an important event in DC Comics. And uh, it was actually two events, I guess. We're going to talk about Kingdom Come and the Kingdom. So Vince is steering the ship for this one. So Vincey, why don't we start with Kingdom Come? All right, sounds good. So uh, we're not really going to go through this um, page by page or anything like we have with some of our previous events. I feel like I think we all think that, you know, our listeners are probably very familiar with Kingdom Come's plot. And you guys had read this before, right? Yes. And I read this before. I read that this was probably one of the first DC stories I've read just because of how essential and good people have said it was same yeah i I would say that this was one of the books when i i feel like when when you're younger you collect comics or at least i collected comics and never really thought about like what was important or seminal it was just like what i liked and what i was reading you know once i started hearing about things that were important and uh meaningful and other capitalized words you know that's when i read this so yeah I, similar on my end too yeah yeah and so yeah oh go ahead zach i was gonna say it's probably worth pointing out the real reason that we're talking about kingdom come is just because we wanted to talk about the kingdom and uh <laughs> and by we you mean you <laughs> yeah and basically i was like guys we need to talk about the kingdom which i had never read before and man wild yes yeah so what what did um how have your impressions of kingdom come changed over the years if at all because uh i speaking for myself i can say that like i guess when i was younger i i thought it was really good um as a story that takes these very like uh well-known characters down to their basic elements and examines how they bounce off of one another and then also how age and experience might change them. And I, I didn't see as much of the uh, social commentary when I was younger reading this as I do now. And I was surprised by how much some of that stuff bounced off of me with kingdom come, uh, upon revisiting it. Did, is that like a similar, does that ring true to you guys? Or do you have any thoughts on that? I, I agree. Absolutely. Um, that stuff was much more, uh, noticeable and, and kind of, uh, not to my taste now. I, I think originally I just didn't even really notice it. Um, Something else that's similar to that is the way um, religious imagery and text is used in this, um, which I guess like the first time I read that, I probably thought that that was like cool or something. Same. Uh, um, but now I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zach, you and I had talked about this on the show. Some call it the best episode of the DC Three Cast ever. When, I, I uh, have heard many say that actually. Uh, yes, our Q and A when we did it a little while ago, and we talked about like works that sort of uh, had spiritual elements, and both of us mentioned this being like a, an early work for us that we felt you know a connection to not just on a superhero level but also on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, when I read it now, I just feel like 
all of that is so hollow. Like, it, basically, the the minister character, like, he never actually grapples with anything. <laughs> he just says, like, I'm grappling with things, but never actually <laughs> has an opinion changed or, you know, challenged at all. It's all very, very empty. Um, yeah, he's a complete <laughs> blank slate. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if you if you want to put one down on the DC three cast bingo sheet, um, I'm rewatching The Leftovers right now, <laughs> yep. and that character that show features a, a priest character who is the exact opposite of yes, this character. Yeah, good old Matt. Um, and I think I I was watching I watched the the a particular episode with him in close proximity to rereading Kingdom Come, and it just even further contrasted how like you said brian how hollow and kind of pointless him even being a priest is and and also the fact that all of the text is coming out of revelation which is one of the like most misapplied and yes. like poorly understood texts and the way that it's really just used to be like ah oh, this sounds very similar to the justice league <laughs> right you know uh <laughs> The, the theology degree part of my brain was just really angry at all the Revelation <laughs> stuff. Um, but I have to say, like, the thing that was the biggest change for me reading it was, and this could, you know, I can't pinpoint this as how I felt when I read it the first time, but in my mind, there was a clearer designation that the Superman side was the fascist side and the Batman side was the freedom side. Like, it, it, to me, I had conflated this almost with Civil War. Not not the American Civil War, the, the Marvel Civil War, where, like, Superman was the Iron Man and Captain America was the Batman. And that's not the case at all. Like, they're, they're just different forms of fascism, essentially. There is, there is no righteous side in this. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that was intentional like i said i don't know if that's just like me misremembering how i originally read it or if there was supposed to be a sense that one of them was more correct than the other but they both seem pretty pretty bad here yeah and and what they what they do to pit that sort of um that sort of uh i want to say boomer i'm just gonna say boomer <laughs> that like boom that boomer mindset against like what is, are essentially the millennial metahuman sons and daughters that are kind of uh screwing everything up on earth is weird to me because they basically make everybody wrong throughout the entire yes every single person is wrong <laughs> yeah but they but but and again, maybe this is just the millennial in me seeing this. Uh, maybe I'm going, you know, beyond what's on the page here. But I feel like they're way more unfair to the the millennial side of things than the older, more experienced hum uh, heroes of the DCU. You know, like I, down to the fact that they, the, uh, the metahuman like youngsters are just a much more diverse group of faces than the old guard. Yes. And I think that in the kingdom, those characters fare much better. Yes. But in kingdom come, they, I mean, to be fair, like, to be fair to the, 
reader who hasn't read Kingdom, who hasn't read The Kingdom, in Kingdom Come, all you see those heroes doing is fucking shit up. There is no, like, they are painted with no redeeming qualities. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. A few, yeah. a few yeah. of yeah. them, like, end up siding with Batman. Yes. Jade. Um, I ever seen Jade yeah. there. Jade, I think, uh, um, Night, Night Star, is Night that Star. her name? The, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a few, but yeah, it's like, there's that scene, um, in where they're all, there's that nightclub, uh, venue that, that shows up, you know, throughout kingdom come and, and the kingdom and Superman comes in there and he, he literally says parties over, um, and kind of like chides them all for like hanging out at a, at a nightclub basically. Mm -hmm. And it's just like what <laughs> yeah the one the, the one that really sticks out like a sore thumb to me is the 666 character oh my gosh yeah what? yeah he's like this he's like this uh he's supposed to look like an snm dude or something and he's got like pierced nipples and i i feel like you're again maybe this is me being unfair to the creatives but um I feel like you're just supposed to look at that character and think like, oh, that's a deviant, yeah. you know? Yeah, Which, there are a lot it, of characters like that. There's like a character named Swastika. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I do look at that and go, yeah. <laughs> Well, I know, I know, like it's, but it, but he's like, I can't remember who's in the in Kingdom Come. It is in Kingdom Come where he, they're like hanging out on uh, Themyscira at the end and like, swastika is like hanging out with the good guys and he like spits <laughs> and then like magog who is like the worst character of them all like smacks him on the back of the head like you dummy be respectful and it's just like what is what is even yeah. happening <laughs> right uh, oh boy well so, he's a very fine person i'm sure yes um from what i understand a lot of this came from Alex Ross basically, I think, handed Wade like a basic outline of this. Is that correct? That he, he plotted it. I want to say that a lot of this originated from Alex Ross's ideas, and I know he did not. He does not like the kingdom at all. Mm. Um, he is very against that extension of this story. Sure. Um, but, but I mean, okay. I guess my question for you guys though is: Are there parts of Kingdom Come that you still enjoy? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. So, like, I, I don't, yeah. So, I, I kind of got my shitting on it out of the way um, because I don't want to make it sound like I hated this. I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like I'm being the edgy guy that like hates Kingdom Come now. But I think, I mean, the, you are I the edge lord of the DC three cast. I'm the edge lord. Yeah, I, I think the best way to express how I feel about it is that, like, to me, in 2020 having read everything I've read now in comics, it is a writer and an artist, like on a technical level, working at the height of their talents. I think, I think like the script is for the most part, incredibly strong. There's a couple, there's a couple groaner moments. Um, like you guys said with the religious allegory stuff, the power girl chicken sandwich joke at the end sticks out like a sore thumb because there's there's really nothing else like it yeah. <laughs> in the comic you know it's just it's it's like a classic eye roller um and i'm not even talking about like it in the problematic sense it's just <laughs> you know what i mean yes. like it's just it's just sticks out in in a bad way um 
but other than that, like it looks beautiful. I'm not usually one for, for painterly art, but I think like Alex Ross does it in a way where like most of the time when he's at the top of his game, it doesn't look too stiff. Um, I think there is a lot of expressiveness in this. I think the character designs are for the most part really good. Uh, I think the way that he litters the background with details and Easter eggs and references and old characters and new characters. I, I think it's, it's great as like a fan of DC history. Um, I think it's a really, really rich story to read. I just think like thematically it's a little, I, I just don't agree with with necessarily its worldview. Does that make sense? Sure. And I don't I don't think it's like super problematic either. I don't think it's like I don't think it's awful. It's just not the way I see the world, you know? Well, to me there's one character that is really written in my eyes worse than the others. And Vince, I'm, I'm I want your take on this cuz you have read more of this character than anybody else, but do you feel that Diana is really poorly written in this? Because I felt there were times when Diana was was essentially a war hawk, and that is mm-hmm. so not who that character is. And I don't know if, if you felt that it seemed like a logical extension for the character, because to me it seemed like it took a large leap where I don't think that would have necessarily... To, that, that's not how I sort of would read Diana aging. Sure. Uh, well, I think when you know when you're talking about an Elseworlds situation where she's lost her status in Themyscira, like it's at this point it's not the same character. And I can see. Here's what I took to that, and this is maybe I'm giving uh, Mark Wade a little too much credit, but I think like some people some people very clearly see Diana as a warrior character. I think it's a mischaracterization that happens a lot. A lot. Yeah. It's happened a lot in her history, you know. And to me, the Kingdom Come Diana is talking about that and explaining why it's a mistake. And to do that, he kind of throws the other Amazons under the bus a little because... because in the story sense, they're telling Diana that she's too soft to, to be part of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she's adjusting her behavior based on that. And so no, like the regular Diana wouldn't do that, but this is like, this is like Diana at the end of her rope or at the bottom of, you know, this is her at the bottom, you know? Sure. And I think that's fair. Um, I I did want to talk about a timeline here for a second. So Zach mentioned before we started recording that this takes place, I believe, in 2020 or 2021, like somewhere in that ballpark we're supposed to be believing it's happening. So basically current day, but not, you know, not current day. Um, But, like, to me, one of the more interesting bits about the kingdom is the revelation that this isn't really an Elseworld. This is, this is, quote, our world in the future. Um. Sure. It's, what, what it's you get? been what labeled you, but, but, in a, it's, Right. Yeah. But but again, like that is what an Elseworld is. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it, the, the yeah. kingdom makes it very clear that this is, that when we see 
you know, Superman in 1998 or whatever it is, that's, quote, our Superman that we're seeing there. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess that's why I, I have a little bit more of a problem with the characterization. But you're, you're, you're right. It's not, it's not grossly off. It, it, it's not like, you know, Scott Lobdell, Red Hood and the Outlaws off. You know, it's just, uh, it, it just, it just seemed a bit, a bit too militaristic to me. And I, and you're right though, that falls more on the characterization of the other Amazons than it does her. Yeah. 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 And by the end, I feel, by the end, I feel like that does come around a little. Uh huh. Um, you know, I, I think like that's another, maybe that's another situation where I think it's, it's, it's solid writing by Mark Wade in the way that he sets up this triangle, this like, uh, triangle of ideology between Superman, Batman and, and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. But maybe the, the the technically technically that works, but the the worldview applied to these characters that we know maybe isn't exactly what it should be. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is there any character you guys think was handled particularly well or poorly? Uh Fat Albert and the Cosby kids. Who are, explain, who are in this? Explain that for our listeners. <laughs> They're in this for some reason. <laughs> well, explain the context. <laughs> I can't even remember. I just wanted to say that they—they oh, they get chased through Gotham by the uh, by like the Bat Gundams that Bruce has built. <laughs> yes. So really, they're hoodlums. It's probably it's kind of a problematic reading of the Cosby Kids, I think. <laughs> uh, or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> maybe if it was just Bill Cosby running yeah. from the. Uh, uh, I just want to say, um, I agree with pretty much everything that you guys have said so far. I do think that this is like the quintessential Elseworlds. Um, like, I think this does the idea of an Elseworlds better than maybe like anything else that I've read, um, specifically like of this era, I feel like, you know, later on DC like got more fast and loose with like, what is an Elseworlds? And they, they, they just got like a lot more open. This was like in that period where, you know, there was still only one official DC earth or whatever. And so like. Of the Elseworlds era, I feel like this is, like, the one. Um, And, like, I'm always harping on how much I wish, like, DC did more with, like, legacy and, like, actually aging their characters and having growth and stuff. And this does, like, all of that and creates some really cool legacy characters that I would love to see more of in other stuff. Um, Like like in the kingdom. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, um, I'll push back against that slightly. Because, yes, there are some legacy characters, but you also have Dick Grayson called Robin and Alan Scott Green Lantern. So it's not like there was well, a yeah, ton of... I of... mean, but you also but you also have Jade in, like, a prominent role. I, I don't mind. There name, are, like, so name many... Name one bit of dialogue characters. that Jade says in this comic. She... I, I she's mean, there all the time. She says yeah, almost but she's, nothing. Well, but, like, it's also a 200-page story. Like, I don't... I don't... I mean, like... They're also they're not like the focus of the story. I like the world that this creates. I mean, you have like a really cool, um, like, uh, 
a new like star man well you have like the legion star man who is very cool but then you also have like the young kid star man and the new stripesy mm-hmm. um you've got like donna troy and dick grayson not donna troy it's dick grayson and starfire's kid yes. you've got donna troy's kids um but again all of that's in the kingdom one of really. whom is no i mean they're no, in they're the in they're, they're in, in it but they're not doing anything I no, mean, but Zach says he it. wants to see more of them. Like I'm, I like, I'm saying? saying like I like. I'm saying that, ten out of ten, the costumes are great. I'm saying that it like does plant those, like it creates those characters and plants those seeds, and like it's it's like in the story bible. You know what I mean? Like sure. it's there. Okay. I guess it's like the world building is very cool to me. And... I agree with that, but but I did feel throughout the whole thing like a lot of that was wasted. I mean, I. I guess it's not what the story's about. Um, you know, like it's, I, I forgive it for that reason. And also, uh, Alan Scott is the, maybe the best green lantern and he looks really cool in this. So I don't know why you're mad. And also, this is the red Robin costume. So I don't know why you're mad. And, I'm not um, mad. <laughs> and uh, Wally West is really, really cool in this. So I don't yeah, know why well... you're mad. <laughs> It's it's weird that Alan Scott is the Green Lantern, but then Wally West is the Flash. But he looks like uh, Jay Garrick. I, I told but you I, why I Wally West is the Flash. I, yes. I mean, why yes. why Alan Scott's Green Lantern, right? Yeah. Right, because he'll never draw Kyle. He, he said he would, he would never draw Kyle's costume. Yeah. Uh, Alex Ross, send your hate mail to Brian at Multiversity. Comics. <laughs> Alex Ross, who take who buys an entire big display at New York Comic Con and never shows up, will not, <laughs> will not draw Kyle Rayner's costume. It's a good I, Okay, it all makes sense now. Now I understand why Brian hates this. Yep, <laughs> hate yep, this. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but, he, but he did draw Billy Batson, who looks more like David Putty than David Putty does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do love the way he draws Captain Marvel throughout this whole yeah. book. That, that brings up, and I don't like maybe this will be a capper i don't know but the whole connection between kingdom come and uh alan moore's twilight of the superheroes and that like billy batson plot point have you ever have you guys like read much about like the theory that wade and ross were like cribbing on ross a little i mean on on more a little bit for this yeah but that that. that's been said about jeff johns too Uh it has it has it's one but, of those things yeah. that like exists in a drawer in the DC office, and you're not supposed to open that drawer, but everybody does when you know Paul Levitt steps out of the room, and they all read that script and were probably inspired by it, and that's why. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, like this, I was expecting this to have aged more poorly than it did for the most part for me. Um, there, there are some things that like we said that that were not great, um, and I. I am typically not a big um, Alex Ross guy. I, I like him on covers, but I think his interiors are oftentimes very, very flat and very uh, stiff. And, and this was was not that at all. Like you said, Vince, this is him at the peak of his powers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I don't have too much like groundbreaking stuff to say about this. I, I still think the whole idea of uh, of Bruce like as the godfather to uh, Clark and Diana's kid is both like the best and worst idea in this comic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's see those scenes. I just eat up the, mm-hmm. the, the scene, the scene of those characters bantering is I think some of the best stuff Mark Wade's ever written. Mm-hmm. Like 
I, I just love the way that he writes Bruce kind of picking at at Clark a little, you know, and and I just think it's really well done. But none of it is mean spirited. None of it is, you know, I, yeah, that that stuff is so measured, I think. That scene at the end of the book in the um, in the planet Krypton mm-hmm. is one of my favorite scenes for a couple of just very small reasons. Like the, I love the drink orders the three of them give. Yes, Diana orders water, Clark orders milk, and and uh, Bruce offers uh, orders coffee. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love the little gag of uh, Clark cooking Bruce's uh, <laughs> steak too too well done, but. Yep. And Bruce would have it well done because he's the worst. Yeah, right, so Zach? I, I, yeah. Well, I was gonna say like it disappoints me that Bruce would get it well done, but Bruce would totally get it well done. So it's yeah. not, you know. Yeah. Uh, he would want his, he would want his steak black as the night on a moonless night, yeah. black as the sky on a moonless night. Yeah. Um, not about the planet Krypton thing, but there is one other thing that I noticed this time I'm rereading it for the first time. Um. The, the team that Magog has are all Charlton character pastiches, um, and the the Peacemaker is basically Boba Fett. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've never noticed that before. Um, really good. Um, yeah. Also, I liked all of the fourth world characters they created for this, like the fourth world Batwoman. Yes. Who has, like, the demon Bathound. Where, where is that character? Yeah. I love the bit with Orion. Yes, I lo- the bit I love with Orion you, was good. Yeah, when you see him and he's standing like dark, like I had forgotten that it was Orion. So when Same. I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, it's Dark Side, and then oh shit, it's Orion, and his forehead is starting to look like Dark Side's forehead. Mm-hmm. It's it's so well done. Yeah, yeah. There there are some very choice bits in this, um, but. Yeah. The kingdom. Let's let's do the kingdom. You guys are just so horny for the kingdom. Well, first let's take a break, and when we come back. We'll talk about the kingdom. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike, and I'm Greg, and together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention, and each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. All right, so we're going to talk about The Kingdom, um, which was a sort of, uh, I think it was one of those fifth week events, is what I heard. It started on a fifth week when, uh, you know, DC wasn't publishing many regular comics, and uh Mark Wade wanted to return to the the characters of the kingdom and and uh, so we got kingdom number one. Should we just start there and or should we start go through, with, the, go through with, these kind of one by one or uh, should we just mention the New Year's Evil Gog, which is the prelude to that? Yeah, sure. I don't know much about the New Year's Evil event. I the only other one that I've ever read before this is the. Prometheus, Prometheus issue one, yeah. that yeah that Morrison did um which makes me wonder like how 
I don't actually like. Did that come out way earlier than the Kingdom? I don't actually know when the Kingdom was published. So this this issue came out. It looks like just a few weeks. I'm sorry, no, a full year before. Okay. Uh, before the Kingdom. That's kind of what I wondered because I I thought that I had seen that the Kingdom came out like later in the year, and I figured that the New Year's Evil stuff was all published around you know new year's um this was new year's evil uh gog had a cover date of february 98 and the kingdom number one had a cover date of february 99 wow Mm. (laughs) that's interesting yeah that that kind of makes sense because it gives you so the new year's evil gog book basically gives you gog's origin and then the kingdom uh, number one basically recaps it for you, so you don't really miss anything, but a, but a little bit of flavoring. Yeah, sure, I think. sure, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just totally unnecessary, and that wasn't available on uh, DC Universe, so you don't really need it, though. Yeah, I don't think you... I think the only thing that you maybe get a little bit more of is an understanding of sort of the quintessence, why they're doing this. Which still isn't super clear, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, why they are giving Gog all these powers. Um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So The Kingdom Number 1 by Mark Wade and Ariel Olivetti. Now, this is a very different Olivetti. We're used to seeing Olivetti as like the, the sort of painterly, actually <laughs> cribbing, cribbing Alex Ross a little. Yeah. When I think um, of Ariel Olivetti, I think of that unreadable Space Ghost Green Lantern comic from a couple of years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yes. But this is, like, good Olivetti. This is, like, pencils. It's pretty good. Um, but anyway, the premise of this one is that Gog is traveling backwards in time to to keep murdering Superman over and over and over. Um. And this this all started because uh, Gog, in his like civilian form, started a Superman religion after after the events of uh, Kingdom Come. But then, when he found out the truth about what really happened uh, at Kansas and how Superman abandoned everybody, um, then basically that like drove him nuts or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the quintessence ends up giving him powers so that they can make the Kansas uh, disaster happen earlier than it did. And again, and like, yeah, you're right, Brian. They don't, they do try to give reasons why the quintessence would do that. And, and some of it is like a, a pretty vague statement about, well, each member of the quintessence allowed this to happen because they left the superheroes to their own devices for too long right or something like that but you're right they don't really give them an overwhelmingly in strong individual uh motivation for wanting this to happen right i should say for, for folks that aren't familiar with that term of the quintessence we saw it pop up again in bendis's stuff recently but it hasn't been around for in a while so it is ganthet of the guardians of the universe the wizard shazam uh, High Father, the Phantom Stranger, and who am I forgetting? Did you say Zeus? And Zeus. There we go. Yeah. I think but I think it, it wasn't also showed up in Snyder's Justice League, wasn't it? 
Yeah, Bendis has been doing the the different alien ra- leaders of the alien races, but no, those no, aren't no, the quintessence. No, no, no. You're forgetting the quintessence dealt with um, Rogelzar. Like they they knew about Rogelzar in the very early Superman stuff. Are you sure that was the quintessence? Because uh, I think it was one of those. Almost, one of those. Almost, one of those oh, no, it was. wasn't. No, though. it wasn't. Because it, it, it was like it was a Gambit. Tamaranian. Or was it? It was a guardian. It was a Tamaranian. It was that diamond person that was yes. a Supergirl. Oh yes. Okay. My yes. my bad. Yes. I guess I was thinking because because of Ganthet and it wasn't there. Maybe High Father there too. Maybe. No. I don't know. Um, all, but I do think that the quintessence. I think the quintessence has been in Snyder's Justice League though. Yes, they were the ones who opened the door for them at the end of his Justice League run. Okay. Which is which basically is what happens in the Kingdom Two. We'll get to that. I I think I think I think we're going back to hyper time, you guys. You are very convinced of this, and you have made me convinced of this, which means I'm gonna punch you in the dick next time I see you when it doesn't happen, <laughs> and you've set me up to be disappointed for this. So. Yeah. so anyway, uh, also in the kingdom, uh Diana gives birth to the aforementioned son from uh from Kingdom Come. Uh it's they name him Jonathan. Of course. Um, basically, at that moment, Gog appears and steals the baby. <laughs> like, yeah. And what does he say when he grabs it? I don't know. I didn't write that down. What? Magog. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> God. <laughs> um. So then, the basically the premise is that the heroes have to go back to 1998, Kansas. To save Kansas from what happens with Magog. But in doing that, they may erase their own future where they just have the baby. Right? Yes. And that's kind of where issue one ends. Um, so do you guys have any thoughts about that before we move on to the next one? Yeah, of, of note... Um... Rip Hunter, Cable mm. Rip, Rip Hunter specifically, yes. Um, yes. Uh, who's working with the Linear Man, uh, and who who we saw one scene in DC One Million that was kind of hinting at this event, um, which is interesting because you know that scene had nothing to do with um, anything. Anything, <laughs> yeah, it related to One Million, which is funny, um, but. Um, that um that's kind of interesting too for your theory events because wasn't isn't rip hunter wasn't he in he was in like two panel hell arisen he was in hell arisen uh they had him they had him like chained up or something yeah um yeah it's i i almost forgot about that but he hasn't appeared since so yeah, it makes you wonder what his role is going to be. We also saw Nick Suotan in the Hell Arisen book and then never heard from him again. But but we've had a pandemic, and so all of this stuff feels like far more decompressed than it really was. We also had sure. the Dio firing in the middle of that. Yeah, that yep. also happened, yeah. Yep, so um, who knows? I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the first issue that's like worth noting. Um I don't guess so. Uh, we do get um, 
some nice dead man stuff here. I really enjoyed the yes. little, little dead man we get. Yeah, when he's talking to all of the supermen who have been killed and they're all in kind of purgatory <laughs> together. That yeah. was good. Did any of you guys watch the show Children's Hospital when it was on? <laughs> A little bit, no. yeah. Did you ever see the one with all the different Blake clones that keep killing themselves? I don't know. Well, that's, what, that's what this felt like in a really good way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. Um, I guess what I – my only real note about this one is that I feel like I had – I had never read this before. I had read Kingdom Come you know, a number of times but never had read this. And I feel like I didn't know how much of a straight sequel this was. But it definitely feels a piece with Kingdom Come, even though it looks totally different. Yeah, I had always like avoided this because I heard I had heard that it was bad or like was a kind of besmirched the legacy of Kingdom Come. Or I'd maybe <laughs> heard that like that Alex Ross line about how he hated it or something. And yeah, I'd always just been kind of led to believe that it was um kind of a you know mishandled cash grab um which i don't want to tip my hand a little too much but i i really liked this a lot yeah spoiler alert that's <laughs> bullshit it's awesome <laughs> this whips nuts yeah <laughs> um this this to me i don't know if you guys will agree with this this is um armageddon 2001 done right <laughs> it even has the the rip hunter bit right which didn't uh -huh. didn't that have yeah yeah and it, it's got like the bookend issues um yep. with the with the one shots in the middle it, yeah it's uh it's good <laughs> absolutely absolutely it's good yeah it is, is very... it is weird it is weird that the art is conventional versus like that legitimately was hard to shake and mm -hmm. and not that the art is bad because a lot of the art is quite good. On, it's especially hard to shake uh, when they're showing the three when they're showing the old Trinity. Yeah, be, be, because those those are so ingrained in the Alex Ross style that to like to to, to pull you out of that. I don't know. I just, it, it, it's almost like, and I, I've used this example many times in the show. And people are sick of me saying it. I feel like whenever anyone who wasn't Ben Oliver drew the Batwing costume, it looked mm. out of place. And I feel like these characters looked out of place, not drawn by Alex Ross. Like when yeah. when they are specifically like when, when Bruce has his like neck brace thing on, you know, all of that. That's just, that just feels that feels like something Alex Ross should be drawing. Sure. Ooh, imagine what if Ben Oliver draws a Kingdom Come sequel. Oh, baby. <laughs> um, all right, so do we want to move on to Son of the Bat? Sure. Mm -hmm. All right, Son of the Bat. Uh, again, these are all written by Mark Wade, so I'm just going to stop saying that. But the art here is Brian Apthorpe, who I was not familiar with at all. These one-shots are a parade of who's? And then you get fucking Frank quietly. Like, yeah. it's, yes, it's, it's a very <laughs> weird transition from folks I don't remember at all to like the best artist. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny, um, like these first two that we're going to talk about, I think came out the same week and are basically like they 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 have the they both open on and close on the same scene. Yes. Which mm -hmm. is interesting. If I'm not mistaken, 
all of these books except for King except for the Kingdom number two came out the same week. Maybe maybe you're right. I'm not positive about that. Yeah. But I think all of the one shots end with like concluded in the Kingdom number two next week. Yeah, yeah. maybe you're right. Okay. So. I think that's how it worked because I, like I said earlier, I think this was a fifth week event. So I think like this was just pretty much all DC published that week. Um, I don't 100% know that for sure, but sure. Um, okay. So this concerns, uh, I hope I pronounced this right. Ibn al-Zufash. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically Ibn. Proto Damien. Yes. Proto Damien. Yes. Yep. Son of the bat, son of Bruce and, uh, Talia. And, um, and the most handsome character in the original Kingdom Come, I think. Yes, and <laughs> and they let you know that a couple of times throughout this issue too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, oh, I didn't. Boy. Yeah, he's, yeah. I didn't notice this in Kingdom Come until this recent reread. How like the second Night Star like sees him in Kingdom Come, she's just like smitten, and oh, yeah. when when the like human heroes turn on the like milf. Uh, group, which that's all what I will refer to them as. Um, yes. She like goes out of her way to protect Ibn, mm-hmm. uh, which is which like it's just something happening in the background that you might not even notice. And I thought that was like a nice touch. Uh, Can I say one from- more? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll save. I have another. No- I have another small Kingdom Come moment that comes back later in this, but I'll save it for later. Sure. Go ahead. Sorry, Zach. Okay. Okay. No, no, that that's pretty much it. Um, but that that pays off in you know a big way in these two issues their their relationship yeah yeah so th- this i love how batshit crazy this issue is um <laughs> within within the first few pages ibn rebuilds brainiac uh-huh. uh who we who it had been mentioned is this what you were gonna say brian no that brainiac uh, had been split up into well, various yeah. parts by Superman. That that is in Kingdom Come. That is directly from Kingdom Come. Right, and then so Ibn puts him back together in one of those like uh, Fortress of Solitude Superman robots. <laughs> so it's like a Brainiac Superman robot. Um, and then they get a Lazarus Pit going. They resurrect uh, Ra's al Ghul, and they bring Alex around, who had been uh, forcibly working at. Uh, a hospital that was kind of picking up the pieces after the events of Kingdom Come. But talk a, about a how matter. they got Lex. How did they get Lex? Explain it. Okay, so I don't remember the exact specifics, but basically he used some kind of chemical. I can't remember what what exactly it was. He he turned Lex into a baby, and that oh, allowed yes. him to get the collar off to put the collar on the control collar on Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> yes. And then he forcibly aged Lex back up to an adult. Yes. Yes. Incredible. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's like some gold made shit right there. Yes. I do um, just want to say Vince, the, the hospital he's working at is the hospital at Wayne Manor that Bruce sets up at the end of kingdom come. That's, that's what I said. Oh, I didn't hear you say that. I'm sorry. I, I didn't you, say the Wayne Manor part, but I said, it was the hospital they set up after okay. the events of Kingdom yeah. Come. Yeah, yeah. That actually has my favorite, my favorite Bruce moment in all of Kingdom Come when he walks past Lex 
working there and he just yeah. goes shazam <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> yeah. great um yeah so uh this it it, it ends with uh ibn and Raish al ghul in a sword duel where they Raish talks about how you know he's supposed to be the rightful heir of like the league of assassins but really he really ibn just wants to become batman and they fight, and then at some point, Ibn and Night- so it begins with uh, Ibn and Nightstar like going their separate ways, um, because of the because of the the events of Kingdom of the Kingdom One where the baby gets lost. Um, they split up. At the end, they come back together because like Rip Hunter is appearing to recruit him, and basically like he says something along the lines of like no matter where I go or what I do, I want to be with you or whatever. It's very romantic. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about as far as this issue goes? I This was probably my favorite, actually, just because of how bonkers it was and how it plays on the the legacy of Batman in a Damien-type way, like 15 years before Damien would be invented. <laughs> yeah, I like this one a lot, too. I... um. I particularly also liked uh, Ibn's rational uh, rationalizing, like basically um, how Brainiac and Lex were going to betray him. How if they could build that machine, they would have already used it on themselves. And so the only one he has to worry about is Rache. Like it was, it was very Batman thinking. It was a nice job. I feel like sometimes people try and write uh, Batman as like a supercomputer, not a super detective. And I think this did a good job of just like laying out good detective work by Ibn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, this one was really good. Um, I agree. I don't know if it was my favorite only because they're all, they're all very good. They're all good. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Some are gooder than others. <laughs> some are they, gooder. Some are, yep. some are, some are gooder, uh, um, but they are all surprisingly good. Yeah. All right, so then we have Nightstar uh, with art from Matt Haley. Um, in this one, so Brian, as you mentioned, it begins with uh, Nightstar and Ibn going their separate ways. Um, and Nightstar is heading to the basically the Justice League headquarters that, that is the Alan Scott, like Emerald Palace construct. Um, and then it gets it gets a little weird because like, this Randall the Minotaur character mm-hmm. j- just starts fucking everything up, and I don't have a good sense of why he's why he's going to destroy the headquarters. I don't understand the motivations there. It's like he Nihilism, thinks everything's baby. Ho- yes, exactly. Like he thinks everything is hopeless, but I don't get why. Like he he's an accelerationist, I guess. Is that yeah, what it is? I guess so. Yes. Like, he just wants to bring about all their demises. Because he thinks that by going back to 1998, he's worried that they're just going to destroy the future that they have right now. And I guess he just thinks, like, well, let's just destroy it now. Yeah. Um, I guess he's destroying it on his own terms as opposed to somebody else's terms? I guess so, yeah. With a wooden sword, because, of course, Alan Alan's uh, construct weaknesses are wood. Um famously uh we also know how he had babies huh guys <laughs> oh jeez. 
<laughs> well, that's a he question. Used a construct. For, that's a question for the next show that we're going to record. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, uh, wait. Jesus. What's the next? Well, you'll get it later. Um, <laughs> Zach, we're still calling it pop pop in the attic. You're not ready to get it anyway. <laughs> Anyway, um, so there's also some really good stuff in here because Nightstar is the son uh, or the son, the daughter of um, Starfire and Dick. Um, We get some good stuff about like Dick learning that Ibn is Bruce's son. So good. Yeah. At first he's like, hey, where's Ibn? I expected him to be around. And then... uh, (laughs) And then he finds out that it's Bruce's son, and he's like, I forbid you yeah. to have anything to do with him. And then she's like, it's not incest. Yeah, yeah right. Yep, yep. Anytime you have to say that. Anytime you have to say that, it's good, yeah. Again, this is this is very uh, maybe George Michael. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah, oh, that's good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, that's very good. Yeah. I wonder if he, if he slid in Pete Rose style. Uh, <laughs> Uh. <laughs> oh boy yeah uh, all right I, I i will say my one problem with this issue was just that i feel like dick did the thing that every parent does when their kid is like but you're not gonna die right and the parents are like well no you're fine like we'll, we'll be around to help you out and like Obviously, every parent that's saying that has like is doing the jerk off hand motion behind their back because, <laughs> because who knows, right? And I and I feel like Dick says that, but most kids once they reach like twelve or thirteen, recognize that's an impossible thing. But it seems like Dick's daughter still expects him not to die ever. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. When you're right, right, you're right. Yeah. And you, you're always right. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, all right. Anything else on Nightstar? It, it basically ends the same way as the, the Son of the Bat issue where, well, all these kind of end the same way with um, with whatever character is the focus of the issue joining Rip Hunter's ragtag team of people who are going to go back and save Kansas or whatever. Um. Should we move on to Offspring? Sure. This is the Frank Quitely drawn issue. And boy, does it look great. It is... It's so good. So good. So detailed and funny. This is the one issue of the series that matches, like, the background detail and referential work of the... Even though it doesn't look anything like Kingdom Come, it attempts to do the same sort of, like background detail type stuff Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of good visual jokes too very good very good plastic man transformations as only frank whiteley could do in almost every page plastic man is hiding someplace yeah it's really really well done yeah it is and and it's also i think more than any of the books this one is the one that pays off on what i was talking about with like highlighting the legacy characters like a lot of them you know there's basically like a a titans team here um Mm -hmm. which is very good 
Do they refer to themselves as the Titans eventually? I, they do. I, 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 I think they do. Yeah, they, they say like okay. Titans together, and uh, um, Crimson's group is like Titans, more like urchins. Oh yeah. Um, what I was gonna say is I, uh, I also feel like this is the issue that does the best job in showing the like. Uh, we, we, we get a lot of talk about fathers and sons and daughters and all of this, but this one actually shows us a, a relationship between a father and child in a way that feels natural and real. doesn't feel like... I feel like one of my issues with the Kid Flash one we're going to read in a while is like it just seems to take a complex relationship and simplifies it down really, really to like a base level. And I mm-hmm. feel like this one, you get a lot of depth of, of the relationship between Plastic Man and Offspring. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's fairly heartwarming the oh, moment yeah. where so the the premise of the issue is that at first when the issue opens, Plastic Man or Offspring, Plastic Man's son is kind of trying to be like a serious superhero. So he kind of does the Superman thing where he like rolls up to the club and he's like you're under arrest, come with me. <laughs> and he kind of gets laughed out of the club because nobody you're not a serious superhero. You're Plastic Man's kid, you know? And this is where, like, Plastic Man is hiding a lot in the background. And then he pops up as Offspring's backpack as they're walking out of the club, which was a, a nice moment. And the rest of the issue kind of deals with, like, trouble at home for Offspring and his wife, where she she's sick of Eel being around all the time, um, tagging along, being a third wheel, making... Uh, making uh, Offspring kind of into a joke because Offspring himself can never be serious. Um, And it gets to a point where, like, Offspring is like, everything's a joke to you, Dad. And then, like, but then eventually it comes around and it's like, thanks for never leaving me alone, you know? Yeah. Because I could have turned out some other way, you know, or whatever. It's it's very heartwarming. It's really well done. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's that great bit at the end where... Um, Offspring is like, okay, I'm going to go talk to, uh, is it Michelle, I think, is his he significant call, other? He calls her He Mike. calls her Mike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, I'm going to go see her, and then I'm going to go find Nightstar. And yeah. Plastic Man's like, oh, yeah, that that's definitely what I do. And he's like, no, Dad, you, you pervert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's interesting that everybody – in this universe, or in these issues, rather, talks about Nightstar as being the one who's the organizer of all of this. And I don't know if that's because just she is, like, she's superhero double royalty because she's Nightwing and uh, and Starfire's kid, or if it's just, like, that she sends out the, the distress call or whatever. But it seems I, like everybody respects her quite a bit. I read it as it's because, like, she is, like, Dick's daughter, and Dick is, like... You know, Dick is Dick. Yeah. Um, it's because she's hot. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Probably. You're right. Why did I say um, anything? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> that's that's reductive. <laughs> um. All right. Should we move on? Kid Flash. Yeah. All right. Kid Flash. Art from Mark Pajarillo. Pajarillo. Um. And. Uh, so this, I, I really like this issue. Even though, like, I agree with what you, you're saying, Brian, about the the 
the way they deal with family in this. Um, but in Kingdom Come, uh, Wally West is like famously running around the city and not stopping for anything. Basically, basically solving every petty little crime before it happens. So the streets are completely cleaned up. Um, in this, Iris, Iris West, his daughter, is Kid Flash. And, uh, basically Wally never stops. She feels neglected because Wally never stops to see Iris. He just leaves her these like ghostly transmission messages wherever he goes. And, and like, so he'll, he'll leave her a message that says like, Hey, what's up or whatever, or, or we'll catch up soon, but never really does. Um, and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> uh, and then Barry West is Iris's brother, and he—I love what a dick Barry is in the like, just a total trash heap. He smokes. It's very funny to see a Flash or a Speedster smoke a cigarette. <laughs> it's pretty good. You would never see that today, right? Absolutely not. I'm going to become one of those online guys who gets really mad about like free speech or whatever. And I'm going to say, you can't even show a speedster smoking cigarette erasure is real. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so then, uh, so then eventually Iris gets recruited to join the team, the rip hunter team. And she leaves message a, uh, she leaves Wally a message saying like I love you or whatever, and then like that's when Wally realizes, oh I haven't been there, <laughs> you know or whatever. Um, is there are there any other high points in this that you guys want to talk about? I I I liked this just because I really like Speedster Legacy Flash Family stuff in general, and um, and I, I, I and I really disliked it because I really like Legacy Speedster stuff in general, but just felt this was a bad issue. Uh, see, uh, I... And as usual, I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> um, no, I gen- I generally liked this. I thought it. I I mean, I think this is this is cool and different enough from the previously established Wally and his kids stuff. I I thought it was fun and fresh in that way, and I liked it. I liked this Kid Flash a lot. Um, think she's pretty cool. Uh, Barry was a total dick, which was which was fun. Um, yeah, I, I liked this. It's it's maybe my least favorite of all of the one shots, but I liked it. See, I just felt like I think especially reading this back to back with the offspring issue is that one of them shows a complicated relationship between parents, between parent and child that was able to I don't even care about the resolution so much, but you could understand the positions that both of them take. Like, you understand why Eel loves his son and just wants to be around him all the time and how that can be suffocating. And I feel like this is Wally feels responsibility to be a superhero and totally forgets about his responsibility to his kids. And you see him, even like as a young parent, just totally dismiss Iris and her desire to be Kid Flash. It just, it, it, I feel like it just shows Wally as a dick the whole time and so it makes his come to Jesus moment not feel satisfying because you don't care. Like honestly, I kept saying, like, why does she give a shit what he thinks? He's a terrible person. You know, it just it doesn't to me. It 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 did not. 
it did neither the Wally of Kingdom Come any good, nor did it do Kid Flash any good because I don't care about I don't care about their resolution because this book gives me no reason to care about their resolution. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that take. Man, God forbid anyone does anything to your Titans characters. No, I, I said, like, <laughs> I, I, it wasn't. It wasn't that I dis. I thought that actually like it's an interesting take for Wally. I just thought it was handled poorly. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. It's fine. But yeah, don't come for my Titans. <laughs> All right, Planet Krypton number one, art from Barry Kitson. This issue is wild to me because like the the other ones you kind of know what you're getting just based on the title and cover and i was really interested in what sort of issue we were going to get because it's ostensibly in a one shot about the the kitschy tgi fridays or or planet hollywood uh uh restaurant from kingdom come but there's actually quite a bit of like story that ties into this is probably more important as a single issue than any of the other one shots as far as how it ties into the bookends. I think. I think so potentially, yeah. Yeah, I I almost don't I think you need to read this one whereas you wouldn't need to read the others, although I I'm not sure why you wouldn't, but Right. There yeah, there this is and it, this is seemingly like the least important one, but this is the this the is the hyper time issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to say two things about this to begin. First of all, this is what I was talking about. There's a there's one panel in the beginning of Kingdom Come where you first see Planet Krypton, and you see somebody at the bar, and she says, "Tell Booster B is here to see her." Uh huh. It'd be B is here to see him, and it's it's fire saying that. Um, but you don't know if that's the guy. Who's the boost? Who's the Booster Gold costume? Who's the actor? Yes. Or, but it turns out no. Booster Gold owns this restaurant, <laughs> which is perfect. That's that, perfect. That's yeah. a perfect character beat. And um, so he's like the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger well, and yeah, Bruce Willis Arnold. and Sylvester Stallone of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and and also in this issue. I guess I don't know if anywhere it says like the date of it, but I was like, wait a minute, why is Bruce not like? in his neck brace here. Like it took me a minute to realize this wasn't taking place in the same time period as the other one shots. Mm-hmm. Right. And it actually gets referenced in the kingdom number two. Like this, this you actually see like the, I think there's like repeating bits of dialogue about him being like summoned, getting like the justice league signal or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is taking place in like, 98 yeah yep yeah yep so basically we follow this um this normie character and i don't i don't remember her name um we can just call her supergirl (laughs) yeah and uh anyway like she's down on her luck and spends some time at planet krypton after hours well she lives there yeah, exactly. Like she she wants all the late shifts so that she can live there because she can't live she doesn't have the money to live anywhere else, I guess. Yeah. I don't really remember what the yeah. Um but anyway like so while she's back in the storage room or whatever, she's running into these like well, she runs into the the like uh 
Titans team that's assembled uh, that's going to go with Rip Hunter. Well, that has gone with Rip Hunter to 1998, but she also senses all these ghostly, like, they call them Wraith characters of previous DC characters. At one point, Batman... At one point, Batman runs into the Batwoman of pre-crisis. Kathy Kane. Yeah, which I thought was... Such a good moment. That's a great moment. And and Barry Kitson's art looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, like the everything, the designs are really on point. I don't, I don't want to like ape too much or like harp too much on this because I could go down a rabbit hole, but like realizing like how in sync Morrison and Wade were at this time. And then like seeing like, I want like, did this affect like, was Morrison thinking about this when he went and did his Batman run then? Because like this Kathy Kane was an important part of his Batman run, like bringing her back mm-hmm. or like highlighting her. And like Damien was obviously like a gigantic part of his run, you know, the son of the bat and like seeing these ideas like seated in kingdom come and the kingdom. And then, Oh, it just, it just yeah. gives me those good feels, you know? And just think about like, you know, Morrison and Wade were, like essentially they were two of DC's architects, if you want to call them around this time. But for whatever reason, it was always like ships passing in the night for them to really come together and do something that actually changed like their vision for what the DCU was going to be never really came to fruition. No. Right. And when you think about who they are, it's like, why the hell not? Why did that not happen? You know, Um, like those two could have been the architect of everything going forward. And it would have been so wild and good because they were at essentially the peak of their powers. Yeah. Well, it's it's crazy. You know, there's that article going around and maybe we could link it in the the episode um, talking about that the Superman 2000 pitch that they did um, and how reportedly, you know, DC editorial kind of chastised Morrison saying like, do you think that they would ever give you the keys to the kingdom or something along the lines of like, do you think that they would ever, you think DC would ever let you exert your vision? And then, you know, not five years later, Wade and Morrison were doing 52. Um, and turns out they didn't let them fully, yeah, uh, you know, do their vision. So yeah, but I but like Morrison got to do Final Crisis, and and yeah. it's just like funny that you know a few years before that they were pitching or or had the idea for Hyper Crisis or whatever the Kingdom would have led to. Yeah, which is weird because like the, he was on JLA. Yeah, <laughs> and he did the one million event, which didn't like. Obviously, not not anything from that really stuck as universally, but it wasn't supposed to. Like, yeah, that seems really weird. I I would have think he I would have thought he was in pretty good standing. Yeah, I don't know. I think this was you got to realize, like, all of this stuff was being pitched and put together when Paul Levitz was president. And then not long after that, Didio comes in and basically wants to, quote, shake things up. Yeah, And I feel like we've talked about in the past how some of that was very good for DC, 
but I think that the idea of reestablishing Superman as the preeminent superhero is like the thing that the deal would have gotten so mad at the whole time. Yeah. Like, we can't do that. You know, we- new stuff, new stuff. Omac. Just, you know, just yelling, <laughs> yelling shit like that all the time. Yeah, definitely. Metal men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so so the, the race that she's running into, they're, they're all either deceased characters or pre-crisis versions of characters that aren't around anymore. Um, which is, that plays into Hyper Time, which we'll fully see in, in the, the Kingdom number two. But is there anything else from this issue that you guys want to talk about before we move on? I just, I thought it was a sweet story. I, I mean, I thought this girl's story was good, you know. Yeah. Just kind of like fleshing her out and her see, like learning to see her co-workers for more than just, you know, shitty people. And... So, so this is the issue. I, you just reminded me of this, Zach, that has the I one think really I know cringy what thing. I think yeah so, I think so I you're saying the yeah. one the one character takes uh. care of his i believe it's his his brother who has aids and is dying mm-hmm. and the super cool character goes like i have an uncle who's gay i should pay attention to this stuff like it's just a really cringy like oh because he's gay he's gonna get aids like it's just, it's, it's, it's a very like it's a very weird poorly written moment yeah i mean i guess it is bad you're right i think I wonder I know how it's it would have well read intentioned. in the late 90s. Yeah, I know it's well-intentioned. Um, yeah. Like, I, I almost kind of feel like that might have been... That might have been almost, like, skew, viewed as, like, a progressive point in comics yes. at that point. Yeah, it, you just, know? it just reads really poorly now. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> this was also the time, right around now, where you get... Like, Kevin Smith was doing his Daredevil run which gave um, Matt's girlfriend AIDS. And um, Judd Winnick was on Green Lantern, and one of the characters on that was HIV positive. And I feel like it was just, this was a time when comics were very much, in a good way, trying to be inclusive and try to bring HIV positive characters into comics in a, in a way that wasn't just tokenism, but it still reads a lot like tokenism. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So the finale, the kingdom number two. Here, art from Mike Zach. That was a nice, pleasant surprise. I think. I like look. I like a Mike Zach drawn book every once in a while. It's been a while since uh, I've seen a Mike Zach book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I... But to me, like. I don't know that Mike Zack ever like he he comes and does an issue of things here and there throughout uh you know DC Comics history or whatever. He never like he's never done like a run on something, has he? Or I'm looking it up now. Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm maybe on... he has and I've completely missed it, but I'm on his Wikipedia page and it doesn't look like anything consistent. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, um We've got, <laughs> we've got. Uh, this, so it begins in Kansas, and Gog is fighting Captain Adam. Which in the original comic, the inciting incident was uh, Captain Adam getting torn apart and exploding, and like a million people dying or whatever. 
Um, so it's ba- we're basically at like the flashpoint of when the shit in Kansas is going down. Can I just interrupt you for one second? Mike Zeb yeah. did the majority of um, Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars. Oh. Uh-huh. He did the first Punisher miniseries. He did a bunch of Spidey, a bunch of Captain America. So more, more a bunch of Master of Kung Fu. Uh, more Marvel stuff than DC stuff in terms sure. of like long runs. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. All right. No, that's cool. Um, the, uh, the <laughs> so, so, you know, we're right at the flashpoint of kind of the, um, the shit that's going down in Kansas kingdom, the kingdom come characters show up Kingdom come Superman. I like this moment. Kingdom come Superman drops down and he says like, I've got you. <laughs> Superman says, got me. Who's got you, which is the, the Christopher Reeve. Yep. Super famous Superman. The, uh, the Lois Lane says that, um, you see Phantom stranger, uh, is like technically part of the quintessence now, I think. And it's basically shaming the rest of them for causing this. Um, the two different trinities from the two timelines are fighting Gog. I like this. There's there's a lot of fun stuff in the fight. Like uh, at one point, both the Supermen encase Gog in diamond by like covering him in coal and then rubbing the coal really fast, which is a gold a total Golden Age Superman thing. Um, it's not quite as good as that. Silver Age Flash, where he cooks a roast by rubbing it, but <laughs> yep. almost, almost as good. <laughs> almost as good. Um, and when it looks like they're not going to win the fight, they realize that Planet Krypton itself exists to be an arsenal that has all these weapons, like lantern rings and the Phantom Zone projector and stuff and that the they can tap in. Yep, all the different colors of Kryptonite. Um, I'm sorry. What did I say? Krypton. 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 Yep. Uh, all the different colors of, of Krypton. Krypton. <laughs> you had me doing it now. <laughs> um, yeah. So so basically, it's an arsenal for them to use against Gog. Um, and I didn't write down how they actually beat Gog. Do, do any of you guys remember <laughs> how they defeat Gog? Um. They um. Um, um. <laughs> oh, they, they basically they use all the weapons against him, and it right. starts to weaken him. And then, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, got they, <laughs> I honestly don't. It, is, do they beat him before or after they go into hyper time? This I'm is really bad that we like can't I'm, remember. I'm this. scrolling back through a comic I read earlier today <laughs> yeah. to remember how this happened. We're we're it, making a really good case for how much we like this this series. No, it, it doesn't matter because the best thing happens next, which is that they get they get brought in to hypertime. Oh, don't they steal they steal the the no, the baby instinctively like goes into hypertime. And the reasoning there is that, like, because it was a baby that was born of Superman and Wonder Woman. See, this the reason why I couldn't remember is because it doesn't really make sense. I'm sorry. Here's what happens. Okay. So they're fighting Gog, and then there starts to be cracks in hypertime, and they, like, 
super, escape to, they escape yeah. into hyper time. So they don't really beat him. They just abandon him. That's right. Yes. And and it's and the baby itself like dissolves first and yes. ends up in hyper time. Um, and so then you see them among the like it's the classic image of hyper time where it's it's them standing there in this like weird pink purpley uh, space. And then there's all these little windows into different moments from DC's past and even the future because you see uh, Red Sun Superman and that was not published yet at this time. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I didn't know that you, you see Red Sun Superman, but that has yet to actually. Uh, That's a cool little teaser. Y- you know, so I read I, I read that Mark Millar like wrote that book and maybe they might have even finished it years and years earlier than it was actually published i think i okay. read that they, they finished it in like 2000 or 2001 which still would have been after this book but it, i don't think it got published until like oh like four um, yeah that could be i'm um, also i just looking at this i'm getting major convergence vibes like this yep. is almost exactly yes. a convergence image the way that they do the different windows is very with much telos. yes with telos <laughs> Yeah, everybody um, loves tell. We love Telos, don't we, folks? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's some good stuff in there too. Um, I don't, I don't know all these comics that it's referencing. Vince probably does. You could probably recognize all of them. Um, no, I don't know that. I'm, we're not going to do I that because I didn't. I know you can't. I, I know you don't. I didn't um, write any of that down, so. But yeah, have we gotten to the reveal yet? The big reveal at the end? No, go for it. Well, so the character... So this is something I wanted to mention. The, the fifth character of the Quintessence... At, at the beginning, it's Phantom Stranger. And they have Phantom Stranger go off and like give Gog the, the scroll that like gives him the information to turn into Gog. Then, like, in the Kingdom Number 1, there's a character who looks like he could be the Phantom Stranger, but he's, like, shrouded. But it's, like, hinted that he's the Monitor. I That's how I read it, because he, like, specifically says, like, I will remain here and monitor the proceedings. And so, like, I, f- I feel like you are, like, clued into thinking, like, oh, that this is the Monitor. But then it turns out that he's neither of those characters. It's the future version of kingdom come clark and diana's baby mm-hmm. and Hand, handing himself back to yes to diana <laughs> yes and he looks like the phantom stranger mm-hmm. he has like the gray hair the white hair his cloak his color scheme is like phantom stranger-esque um and like this again just gives me like such one million vibes too it's basically the same reveal as like the prime Superman, you know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I lo- I love this look. I I hope we see it again. Like, I I really I can't think believe we're... we've never seen this character again. Honestly, I think we're gonna see it in Snyder's. <laughs> I think I I do. You are so I... convinced of this. Well, when okay, here's why. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's just funny to me how uh, how convinced of this you are. Here's why. Every interview that Snyder has done, and this isn't about the kingdom now, so like I hope I hope like people who are just tuning in for Kingdom Come Talk, you know, what deal with deal with what we've been uh, 
hashing around for the last several months on the show when we talk about Snyder's stuff. But um, every time Snyder does an interview, he talks about how it's about how they're they're trying to return the DCU to a point where all stories matter because he feels like that's been lost, like that was lost with the New 52, and even Rebirth didn't get it back to that point yet, but that's what the, the goal is. Well, what embodies that more than the idea of hypertime? It is the cleanest way to handle that, too. There are some, like, brutally scathing attacks on, like, what I see as, like, DC editorial in this book in in The Kingdom number two. Like, Rip Hunter is, like, narrating what hypertime is, and he says something like... um, the linear men are like a stand-in for DC editorial. He says they've told us over and over uh, again that alternate timelines are a myth. Um, they're too linear. They think an orderly cataloged continuity is preferable to a kingdom of wonder, um, which I feel like is DC editorial like throughout the ages, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's so good. And, and Snyder has been saying a lot of similar things. He is like in interviews kind of like apologized on DC's behalf for screwing everything up um mm-hmm. pretty explicitly and yes. then even even the way that doomsday clock explains um you know the the earths that branch off after major events mm-hmm. that's exactly the explanation yep. given here that like you know sometimes the the timelines diverge because of, because an event happens then they may come back around and and converge again before splitting off again. It's like a river. That is the, that's exactly the same as what Doomsday Clock is doing. Basically, Snyder has talked about how Doomsday Clock is um, something that he wants to honor with Death Metal. He's never explicitly talked about Kingdom Come. I think other than that, the first Earth that was destroyed in death metal was the kingdom come earth, which I think is interesting. I don't know if that plays into this, but you know, certainly we know that Snyder has read the kingdom come stuff because well, everybody I, guess, I don't know that it's, I don't know that we can assume that he's read the kingdom though. I, yeah, I think he had, I think he's because he brought the, so he brought the quintessence back too, specifically to tell so they're these, in, to, they're in kingdom come though. I know, but like he brought them, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is like, he brought them back specifically to address the justice league and have them walk through a door at the, at the very end of his justice league run, Yeah, which is basically exactly what happens here. Right. Yeah. So if he didn't read the kingdom, I'd be super surprised because it's the exact same shit that happens at the end of this issue. Except that we don't see in Snyder's stuff that happens at the end of, of his Justice League run, and then all of a sudden it's death metal, and it's this completely different looking DCU. So we don't yet know what happened between those moments, but I, I really think that's him intentionally referencing the end of this event. With the intent to <laughs> essentially reestablish hypertime, which never, even though it was like invented by Wade and Morrison or conceptualized by them, never was fully embraced by editorial. I feel like this is 
this is how they're going to do it. I, I what don't if, see it what any if other way. Death metal, what if Death Metal ends with this, this Jonathan Kent versus Dr. Manhattan Bruce Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes! Absolutely! Oh my God, Zach! That would be... <laughs> It would be the greatest event in DC history. But. So here's the thing with Hypertime. I feel like Hypertime is just... If DC doesn't embrace it, they're dumb because it makes everything so easily easy to, to fix in the future. Like, there's a line where Jonathan Kent says, like, sometimes you forget about a good friend and then he shows up again. Like, yes! It, it and, just... and so, like, not to tip my hand too much, but pretty soon we're going to have an episode where we talk about current books and particularly a run that's like over a dozen issues in now and it is <laughs> sole existence is just to explain yes what happened to like one or two <laughs> characters as the result of a lot of like inane continuity finagling um yes, yep. yes. and the the answer to that is not all that different than hypertime it's just it's that we not it's just yeah I, I really think they're going to do hypertime. And if they don't call it hypertime, it's going to essentially be it's going to be hypertime. So they may as well call it that. Well, right. They've been has, using the term. They've been using that's the what term. I was going to say. Hasn't up, Scott yes. been Scott? Yeah, they like people have been using saying hypertime. Yeah, I think Snyder's JLA specifically has said it a few times. Yes. Right. And, just, and other books, too, for sure. Other yeah. books have done it. It just seems to me like if you want everything to matter this is the way to let it all matter without throwing away anything. Like that's, I, I think the hardest part of, of the it all matters school of thought is that we think of things much like the linear men in a very linear fashion. Whereas like if characters can disappear and show up again, well then it makes total sense how Alan Scott could have kids and also have been gay since the thirties. Or the 40s, yeah. rather. Like, those things can coexist in a hypertime world in a way that requires no real explanation. Whereas 10 years ago, there would have had to have been this, like, just this deafening minutia trying to figure out a way to make all that fit you, together. You would have had to have, like, a six to eight issue, like, Alan Scott rebirth. Yes. <laughs> to, like, make sense of it, yes. for sure. Whereas now you're yes. going to say hypertime. <laughs> Which I guess, like, there are obviously going to be some people out there who will like complain and say that that's lazy and my comics. And, um, I'm, I, I don't mean to be like reductive, but uh, it, it will not please everyone, but it definitely will please us. Yeah. And then, um, the, Oh, go, were you going to say something else? Well, there was one thing I was wanting to say. Um, I, I, this, uh, this series has a, quick tie-in to Stanley's just imagine because Jonathan Kent looks at the reader and smiles and says, just imagine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's right. Yep. That's like three years away or something. <laughs> That's great. I love that. <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, that's good. Um, so then there's this epilogue. And this is the last thing that I kind of want to say about. Well, I mean, it is going to be the last thing we say anyway. But, but oh, I, I know. <laughs> so it's the it's the golden age Superman. Uh, and then 
he so he's pressing against this like invisible wall which you see in the kingdom number one and then he says something about how you know this this isn't the jail he once believed it to be and it's because he's trapped somewhere in a pre-crisis you know wherever and he says he knows there's a door there's a door even if he's not going to use it not today anyway and he turns to the reader and he winks and that to me again like how does Snyder have the quintessence show the Justice League the door to use and that not be a reference to this as well? Like, to, to, to me, this all just is leading to the, king, the this Kingdom event having way more to do than with Snyder's Justice League than anyone has talked about. I hope I'm not crazy. I I hope you're not crazy. It's perfect. Yeah, I I really want I really want this to be true. Yeah. I just don't know if it's going to be true. And also Mark Wade comes back to write for DC. Well, that that's my big boy dream. Yeah. I don't know. Like like the Dio being ushered out is the perfect chance to welcome Wade back in. Wade becomes the new editor-in-chief. That's what we need, yes. I feel like Wade does not need to go back to, like, a spearhead, like, writing a lot of books at DC just because, like, DC is bad enough about that already of just, like, not letting new blood have a chance to shine. But, yeah, if he wanted – perfect, absolutely, yes. Mark Wade. No, I'm going to blow your minds here. Oh, boy. Oh no, he's gonna do it. DC editorial quintessence. <laughs> the four fifty-two writers oh, and Scott Snyder. <laughs> Let them be the editorial overseers of DC Comics, and then pre- if you do that, then you pretty much can have an entirely uh, female LGBTQ people of color writing staff. Let them hire young exper- young writers taking chances. And do really creative stuff with these veterans sort of helping oversee everything. Yeah. And then um, Bob Harris gets the Al Bundy uh, shoved against the door and then kicked out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Of that of that DC Architects crew, uh, Scott Snyder's clearly the one wearing the skull sweater, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, but you know, he... you know, Bendis is gonna want in on that. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's gonna be like, "Let's let's do the grill well, photo, guys." Well, they're they're not. Well, I was gonna say I don't know if they can get Rucka on. Rucka's already back, Bendis baby. On, without back. without Bendis being on the thing. Yeah. I would even I would even be okay with putting Bendis in there instead of Snyder and let Snyder still do. Some yeah. comicking. Well, whether whether or not Johns is canceled, Snyder is chief oh, no. creator of awesome. Snyder Snyder's chief creative officer. There you go. John Johns might not be. It's 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 Bendis and Rucka instead of Johns and Rucka. Okay. We'll we'll see. That would make people very upset. DC Reddit, not not big uh, Bendis fans. <laughs> Anything else to say about the kingdom? 
This it was great. It, I really enjoyed it. Um, Mr. Scott Snyder, <laughs> The Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done. <laughs> By the way, this is so I had never read The Kingdom before, obviously, but I had a dream like two years ago. I keep a little uh, note on my phone of just dreams that I have because I I'm basic like that. And in one of them, it was that in my house, I had a piece of Superman stained glass. So when I saw that in the kingdom, I was like, Mark Wade is in my dreams. <laughs> wow. Uh, did I then look up today if you can buy a Superman stained glass? You can. <laughs> I think that uh, there's something more psychosexual about that going on <laughs> with you. No, I just but think it's. Uh, we'll leave it there. It would be a beautiful addition to my home, and I won't hear otherwise. <laughs> Wait, did you order it? No. Oh, okay. Not yet. <laughs> no. <sighs> All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, next week will be our new comics roundup episode. We've promised it for a while. Um, we're going to be reading. We won't say everything we're going to be reading, but we're going to be reading... Um, so uh, bits of each of the 80th anniversary specials that came out in the last uh, month or two, a little bit of Bendis, a little bit of Tynion, and a little bit of Tom Taylor. So that's a little tease for you guys. If you have to get in touch with us, uh, two thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian. Uh, there, I am at Brian needs a nap. <clears throat> oh yeah, I forgot that um, this is still a thing. Um, um, <laughs> I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need Vince, he is uh, connecting strings on a cork uh, board, showing how all of this is just pointing to the kingdom coming back. I'm Charlie Kelly. Yes, he is Charlie Kelly, uh, but screams much less. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm, I'm also writing a, a Dayman and Nightman musical. So. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, seriously. When was the last Ringo to be elected president, huh? <laughs> <laughs>